The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Nice to see everybody tonight. Nice to plant a few seeds together, hopefully. So we will have small groups later, and I'll mention something about that in a moment, but might be good just to start here on our second week of our study of the Buddhist teachings on karma to bring to mind during the guided meditation moments, maybe a few moments, where you felt that the mind was pretty sincere, pretty engaged and sincere in keeping the attitude of kindness in mind, right? And then perhaps in those few moments before the mind wavered or got distracted, maybe noticing, sensing the relative wholesomeness of that attitude in the sense of what is getting set in motion. I mean, we could also do the same sort of mental exercise, bringing to mind a few moments when you felt the mind was relating in an unskillful way. You were just identified with a lot of doubt. I can't do this. This is stupid. Or whatever the negative attitude might have been for a few moments. And a sense of what that said emotion. Because we want to, you know, it always seems a real stretch when we hear about or, yeah, I guess we hear about saints, you know, people who are just like lovely all the time or wise all the time. But in those moments when our mind, even if it's just like three or four seconds in a row or whatever it was for you, and we felt like everything lined up for a few moments, the quality of effort, the quality of interest, that sort of clarity of recognizing and keeping in mind this kindness, relating with kindness, everything was there. And one of the things we notice in moments like that is how impactful it is. Just like it's really impactful when I'm really identified with hate. It's like the psychic damage we can do to our body and mind in just a few seconds of really the mind really investing in hate or really investing in greed, lust. We feel, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can feel the crunch, the reverberation of that, you know, being lost in hate for a long time after even just a few minutes of indulging in some negative attitude. So what what if what if we um, got this teaching a long time ago and really developed? this habit of keeping kindness in mind. So now we're in our second decade. And because we're in our second decade of doing it, we have much more continuity than we had in the first week, month, year of trying to do it. Right? So like living out of the attitude of kindness was a regular occurrence for us as we go through the day and as we do our formal sitting time. And just 
just I'm, I'm offering this just as a way to get a sense of how much power, momentum, the fruit of having related in that way, what would, not even the reverberation in our own body and mind, but in all the lives that we had would have been in contact with. Or, you know, like I said earlier, we could imagine just the opposite, cultivating some negative attitude of mind, but starting a couple decades ago, and now really good at living out of that hateful, self-hateful, greedy, whatever attitude, and how much would have been set in motion, how painful and narrow, constricted a life this mind or heart would be experiencing right now. Had it, because it would, have, it would have become by now such a dominant flavor of the mind. The mind would be really good at living out of that negative space. It would be the default attitude of the mind, right? Like it is for us. I mean, whatever our default attitudes are, this is what this mind has been conditioned or been practicing in the past. So whatever you noticed showing up as your attitudes during the day today, it's really easy for us to say, well, I had that attitude because this person contaminated my mind. Or this situation made me that way. But the whole point of this exercise is to see that no matter the circumstances, the attitude of kindness can be there, or the attitude of forgiveness, or the attitude of interest. I mean, there's any number of skillful qualities of mind that can be cultivated. And the funny thing is, if you really develop one skillful quality, you'll notice a lot of the other skillful qualities gathering around. Like if you sort of make a point of becoming a more patient human being, you know, you're going to notice clarity, you're going to notice persistence, you're going to notice resolve and equanimity and loving kindness. Those other qualities are going to start showing up. So I was encouraging people, I think I sent it in the week, first week's email, this famous line from the Buddhist teachings about karma. I am the owner of my karma. Heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma, abide, supported by my karma. Whatever karma, intentional action, I shall do for good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. I meaning this mind stream, because when I do something with intention, as I mentioned last week, that lays something down in my heart, in my mind, in this mind stream. So the mind in this moment is the mind that had the attitude, that way of relating in the previous moment. This is the mind that arises out of that mind. Because in Buddhism, we talk a lot about how one moment of mind conditions the next moment of mind. We always talk about, you know, people are interested in rebirth. 
whatever that might be. But the general teaching is, well, it's just like living this life because every moment of mind is its own thing. It arises and then it ceases. So when this moment arises, before it ceases, it conditions, affects the next moment of mind that's arising. And then that moment conditions the next. So it's a bit of information is transferred from one moment to the next. It's just that at the time of death, and again, this isn't something to believe, it's just keep our mind open because the truth is we don't know what happens at death. But the idea from a Buddhist point of view, a Buddhist psychological point of view, death is a lot like how the information gets transferred from one moment to the next right now. It's just that at the moment of death, the life of this body ceases, of course, right? And then that moment of mind, another moment of mind is arising. Now that moment of mind is arising without a body or maybe in a new body. This is what we don't know, right? But the idea is that the continuity of mind, one mind conditioning the next, when we observe the mind, even though the body and the mind clearly are connected, they're also different. The trajectory of the body, trajectory of the mind. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm this body is 60. I almost said I'm 60. But my point is, my mind, when I look at the activity of my mind, it doesn't seem 60. It doesn't seem like it has an age. Does your activity of mind seem like it has an age? But we, because of you know our cultural conditioning, we just assume that the body and the mind are the same thing. But when we look, you know, sometimes my mind, you know, is like an ochromudgeon, but other times my mind is like a child and everything in between. Some of the times in the suttas and the discourses of the Buddha, they talk. The Buddha will say, or people will say to the Buddha that your um, your disciples, the students you have. They have minds like wild deer. And that's meant as a compliment, you know. It's sort of nice. It's sort of in the moment. <laughs> Chewing leaves. <laughs> if you look it around. And initially, as I mentioned last week as well, that statement, I'm owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, related to my karma, abide, supported by my karma. Whatever karma I shall do for good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. I would recommend you do that every day, maybe first thing in the morning. And notice the tendency to turn it into a heavy trip, right? But then the interesting question, if you can be on top of it, is that helpful that attitude of having a heavy, you know, relating to it in a heavy way. Karma as a heavy thing. The responsibility is heavy. Like what is the appropriate use? So because it, it the point I don't think is to take this statement as a metaphysical truth. Right? The point of this statement is to be pragmatically useful. 
like leading to a happy, released, skillful life. Not to feel guilty about all our mistakes or whatever we might feel. How can we use these teachings on karma as a kind of empowerment? Right? So it's, it's sort of these teachings we'll be learning these eight weeks. It's a, a counterweight to both extremes. Like we can think sometimes that nothing matters. I mean, that's a very common, uh, more nihilistic way of thinking about things. You know, it's a random unfolding. Or we could have sort of a deterministic point of view, you know, that we're sort of trapped by cause and effect. And there's no way, and this is like showed up in human thought, you know, in different times and different ways, this sort of very deterministic approach. And and even the Dharma, the Buddhist teachings can seem... um, it's not what the Buddha taught, but it can seem at times, if we're not paying attention, like they're also deterministic. Or we can imagine that it's just like whatever we will is true. Like there's, what was that book that came out a while back, The Secret, about affirmation. Like having a positive attitude really bends or makes the world a particular way. By... Imagine having wealth, I will end up wealthy. You know, there's some of this, I mean, this wishful thinking we have, this is not a small thing. And there's reasons that people fall into all of these attitudes. When you look at things in a particular way, it does seem pretty deterministic. Or if you look at things in another way, it does seem kind of nihilistic, like it's just sort of random what's happening. Or that... You know, putting out an affirmation, living, holding an affirmation can seem to be impactful about how things unfold. Or that there's some, you know, omnipresent God who's in control and he's either messing with us, you know, or taking care of us, overseeing. And if difficult things come our way, well, that benevolent being just wants us understands that we need to learn some lessons and they're just sort of organizing things so we get the lessons we need, right? And, and it seems, you know, when we look, <clears throat> excuse me, at folks and ourselves, that these attitudes can work well enough at times in people's lives, clearly. People live with these attitudes or some version of these attitudes, right? But none of these attitudes is what the Buddha I mean, one thing the Buddha might say is, what I'm recommending is not to be fixed with any of those, not to be attached to any of those attitudes. And so like, well, did the Buddha say there is free will or that there isn't free will? And, you know, it's sort of a misplaced statement or question. What's really interesting and and more relevant is how I'm relating to the moment, does it matter? And we see that it does, in fact, matter. I sent an article uh, out today, 
Mastering Causality. <laughs> sort of a provocative title. It's in uh, Ajahn Tani Saro's first. He's written a series of books on uh, meditations. He, when he's at his monastery, Wat Metta, outside of San Diego. This is a Western Buddhist monk, Ajahn Tani Saro. And uh, he's the abbot of a monastery, a nice monastery outside of San Diego, Wat Metta, Metta's Loving Kindness. And uh, when he's in town <coughs> at the monastery, <coughs> excuse me, he gives a short talk every morning. And then those talks get translated, or transcribed rather, and then made into books. So I think he has seven of them now. And like each book has 40 of those talks, something like that. And so in the first one, he has this article, Mastering Causality, and I sent it out in the email, so hopefully everyone's on the email list. Let me just read some from this. I recommend it. It's nice. And it will set up the discussion next week when we look more specifically at the teaching on wholesome regret and wholesome concern. It's what we might call in English conscience, like how the past how what we've learned about cause and effect from the past informs the present moment. So here's what he says at the beginning of this article. They tell us that the heart of Buddha's awakening was discovering the principle of causality, or karma, how cause and effect work to shape your experience. It sounds pretty abstract, but it's actually that it actually directly relates, but it it's actually directly related to what you're experiencing right now. In other words, there's the result of past karma. So this moment that's arising, like the attitude that's arising right now, or the qualities of the mind that are present right now, and the situation we're in, in this room together, and our life circumstances, all of this, where did this come from? Well, the answer from the Buddhist teachings point of view is all of this, what's ever showing up right now internally and externally, there's only one place that it could have come from. It is the natural, lawful, or conditional unfolding of everything that was past. So that's why we say there's no mistake that this moment is this way. We're not, when we say there's no mistake that things are the way that they are right now, it's not a that we're not evaluating this as being good or bad. We're just saying that we live in a lawful universe. So the weather is this way because of past causes and conditions. The attitude of my mind, the qualities that are here, the way my body is right now, is the just to be provocative, perfect expression of those past causes. So Ajahn Tanisho is making the point there are three things that make up the moment. What's showing up from the past, how the mind is relating to what's showing up from the past, and the karma or the karmic fruit or the karmic effect of how my mind is relating to the present moment. So there's the past that's showing up as the conditions right now, is there anything we can do about that? No, because that's driven by everything that's past. How the mind is showing up or relating to what's showing up, that 
having the attitude that that matters is skillful. And we want to, in order to take responsibility for how the mind right now is relating to the present moment, like with or without kindness, just as an example, is to notice the effect of how I'm relating to the way it is right now. We want to, more than anything in this eight weeks, we want to make that connection in this moment. Can't do anything about the way it is, except how I hold it, how I view it, how I relate to it. That's impactful. How do I know? That's part of the way it is right now, the impact of the way that I'm relating to what's showing up. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to tease these three things apart. You know, like, is what I'm feeling right now because of how I'm relating to the present moment or because of past causes? You know? But we can experiment. This is the cool thing. You know, like we can play with the attitude. Once there's wisdom in the mind, and this is called the wisdom of understanding the law of karma. Once we understand, the mind understands that it matters. This is the homework, right, for the last week. The present moment matters. Now matters. Keeping that in mind as you lived your day, did your set. Now matters. Is that true? How could it matter? What matters? Right? So to, to sort of play with that. But once we have our own confidence that it does matter, how then it's just trial and error. Like we start getting better at how we relate because we were willing to experiment with the possibility that it matters. And because we were willing to be open that it matters how we're relating, we can start connecting the dots. This way of being has this, this result. This other way of being, this other way of relating, has this other result. Let me keep reading here. In other words, there's the result of past karma. There's your present karma. Karma means intentional action. Way of relating is an intentional action. And there's the result of present karma. Like the trace or the residue of how I'm relating right now. Those are the three things you're experiencing at any given moment. And it's really nice just to have a sense, oh yeah, something about this present moment I can't do anything about. And something about this present moment I can do something about. And that's really nice because it really helps with the acceptance piece. You know, it's already already this way. I, I already have a head cold or I already, you know, have this knee pain. But how I relate to the knee pain, how I relate to having a cold. He goes on and he writes, of course, when we start out, it all tends to be mixed together. It's just experience. We don't see these patterns. We don't see the component factors as separate and distinct. So things seem pretty random. But if you learn how to look at that whole, to look at what you're doing right now, you come to see that you're not totally passive. The things you're experiencing are, are not just coming in at you. There's an active side to the mind that goes out and shapes them, adds a little here, takes away a little bit there. 
you're getting sensitive to that aspect of the mind, to what you're doing right now. That's a large part of the insight you need to gain in the meditation. Now, this can seem counter to what we hear, like Ajahn Chah's famous phrase that many of us have heard many times. If you let go, of a, if you let go a little, you get a little peace. If you let go a lot, you get a lot of peace. If you let go completely, your problems are over, right? How many people have heard that phrase from Ajahn Chah, read that somewhere? Right, so it's a famous line, Ajahn Chah, one of the great Thai teaching teachers of the last century and impactful for a lot of our current senior teachers here in the West. So it sounds when we hear that from Ajahn Chah that, oh yeah, it's all about letting go. But see, the letting go has to arise naturally from the understanding of karma. Right? Because we can't just let go. First we have to take responsibility that how I'm showing up matters. Even though it seems messy. And then that refines that deepening understanding, that deepening participation in the world of Karma matters. Intentional action matters. How I relate matters. It evolves naturally as the mind becomes more refined to what you could say is the absence of of intention. Letting nature be nature or letting go. Right? But now, when we think about letting go, it's like it's coming out of greed or aversion. Oh, letting go is peaceful. I want peace. I'm going to let go. Or letting go or holding on. Attachment's bad. I don't want to be bad. So it has to arise. The letting go has to arise from studying cause and effect, not from this abstraction. And that's the point. So he goes on. He's going to say a little bit more here before I finish. Most of here this is the good part. Most of us are like a person who goes storming into a room, acting in an offensive way, and then later complaining. The people in the room seemed awfully defensive, <laughs> awfully unfriendly, as if they didn't have any impact on the atmosphere of the room through their actions, through the way they entered the room. Right? So we see the moment coming at us. But we think, like, either it's God doing it to me, or it's random, doesn't matter, or whatever. I didn't have the right affirmation, it was my fault, but I'm going to have this different affirmation and make things different. But the, that, that sense of what we're doing right now doesn't matter. Somehow neglecting the present moment, the present moment input. And that's really what the word karma means. It's not, karma does not actually, the word doesn't refer to the karmic fruits, like what gets set in motion. Karma, the word is the, what the mind is doing in the present moment. And the interesting thing is, being oblivious is a karmic act, right? That's karma. Thinking that it doesn't matter, relating in that way, matters. Just like thinking that it matters and wanting to learn 
given that it does matter, wanting to learn how to show up, even if we don't like get pointing out instructions. I mean, a good kindergartner could give us pointing out instructions, like be kind, be, be compassionate, you know, share. That's, that's what the Buddha, those are the Buddha's instructions, right? He said there are three roots of wholesome action, actions that lead to release. Kindness, compassion, and letting go. I mean, that's actually, I'm not joking, right? That's what we learned in kindergarten. As opposed to, you know, instead of kindness, being mean. Hating ourselves, being rough, aggressive, having ill will, not caring about others, not sharing with others, not letting go, holding on, being stingy. I mean, we kind of know it doesn't help, but it's really hard. I mean, it's just so interesting that when push comes to shove, we don't really believe it. I mean, I always bring this up because it's a, you know, I think partly being raised in a family of seven kids right in the middle, being raised by two parents who grew up, you know, they really, they were my mom born in 1930 and my dad in 27. So right at their most impressionable years, you know, when kids are like two, three, four, five, six, seven, that's when a lot of the conditioning happens. They were right in the depression, being raised in the Dust Bowl on farms in North Dakota and eastern Montana. And uh, so there's this, like, I'm, I've got that stingy imprint. You know, I see it all the time. And this silly way is like, I always notice, like, like, Wynn will always say, can I serve you? <laughs> She's learned. <laughs> like when we cook together, you know, and we're ready to sit down, and maybe I'm sitting at the table, and Wynn's by the pot. Can I serve you? And I always feel like, oh, I don't know if I can trust her. <laughs> I, I might need to serve myself. And when I do sort of resist that impulse to kind of take control, you know, and, and say, oh, yeah, sure, <laughs> I, oh, I find myself, I, I look, like, what's in her bowl and what's in my bowl? How many pieces of tofu are in her bowl? You know, or how many perfect broccoli florets are in her bowl versus my bowl? It's like, it's impactful. That sort of, like, as opposed, that's called stinginess, right? And to really say, oh, yeah, that hurts. I mean... Immediately, the, kar- the karmic fruit of that attitude is the body and the mind is tight. And it sets up more tightness, right? It gets in the way of the relationship. And it's just so interesting, we can be reading this all day long. And this is how we become wise. This is the first level of wisdom, is to realize there is... There is this lawful unfolding, and there's a way of participating in it. Now matters, it matters, it always matters, it never doesn't matter. It never doesn't matter how we're relating. There's never a time we're not planting seeds. Oh, it's late, you know, I worked hard all day. It doesn't matter how I relate now, because I've been trying to be good all day. So now it doesn't matter, but it always matters. We, the heart, 
the sensitive heart always has an incentive to be relating to the present moment as if how I'm relating matters. It's always an act of kindness to imagine that it matters, to pretend that it matters, to relate as if it matters. And the real enemy, the real thing to be on guard, is that attitude, because it's a lie. And this is like this fundamental place, am I going to align with the truth of what my life has demonstrated to me, that it matters? Or am I going to align with a lie because it's convenient? It doesn't matter right now. It's not important right now. And the, and the Buddha says this. Um, so this is uh, from the suttas. Do not overlook negative actions merely because they are small. However small a spark may be, it can burn down a haystack as big as a mountain. Do not overlook tiny good actions, thinking they are of no benefit. Even tiny drops of water in the end will fill a huge vessel. And that's really the attitude of karma. It's like when we see people who have a lot of space, a lot of resilience, a lot of natural goodness, and a lot of ease because of all those wholesome qualities, and people like them, and things tend to go their way, that arose because drop by drop by drop by drop, the mind was transformed. And people who are in real difficult circumstances internally, right, reacting to whatever's going on in their life, digging the hole deeper and deeper by the way they relate to their experience, we see people cycling down creating a hell realm for themselves, right? And those tendencies also got developed in little moments, one drop after another. Thinking the mind, thinking it doesn't matter. Being stingy now doesn't matter. Being hateful now doesn't matter. Cultivating this not helpful attitude of mind doesn't matter because it's a small thing. Oh, gossiping a little doesn't matter. So this is what you can talk about in your small groups tonight. So we'll have small groups now. And I mentioned, you know, for the homework, is just to reflect during the week in real time how you see how your mind is relating really mattered, like what it set in motion. And see it as a creative act, like how, what I do with this moment, how I relate to this moment as a creative act, as opposed to just things happening to me, nothing to do. But that attitude that we're always planting seeds. How can I plant wholesome seeds? How can I relate now? So in the small groups, you might just talk about situations from long ago or from this week or even tonight, today, where you felt in real time that because of the way you were relating to what was showing up from the past, you really sense that you were planting wholesome seeds. Seeds that felt trustworthy, moving the heart, the life in a, in a direction of ease or, or goodness. And then other times when you planted, you really saw clearly you were planting unwholesome seeds 
And then you saw the fruit of those unwholesome seeds reverberating in your mind, your heart, and your actions, being expressed in your actions, whether it's action of a thought or your words or your deeds in the world. Or anything that's come to mind from your study, reading Joseph Goldstein's article maybe last week or whatever you study that you've done, just sort of reflecting out loud. Now, we make a real practice of these small groups. Generally, the advice is to sit really close. To the, three, the three of you sit really close so you don't have to speak loudly. That way you won't disturb the other groups that are sitting close to you. So whatever feels comfortable. It's nice if one person needs to use a chair, then maybe all three people use a chair so you're on the same level. Start by just sharing your names. Generally, I'm... The even weeks, like tonight is week two, and even week we wear name tags. You see a few people. We have those under the shelf in the bulletin, under the bulletin board, including just the ones you can write your name on. But if you're going to be around for a while, make yourself one with a plastic sleeve so it will be there when you're here and wanting to wear a name tag. And uh, each person gets about three minutes. If you're within earshot of where I'm sitting up here, I'll ring the bell. But if you're in one of the far-off spaces, then somebody should have a watch. Decide on the order. Each person gets their three minutes, even if you run out of things to say. That's okay. Just in real time, reflect on times you planted wholesome seeds, times you planted unwholesome seeds, and then share that experience. We're kind of building the confidence together by listening to each other that now matters. How the mind is relating matters. So you might have a gap of 30 seconds or whatever. And you're just thinking, then you might have more to say. And then after your three minutes or so is done, thank the folks for listening. People can thank you for speaking in some natural way. And then the next person, just go in clockwise. Once somebody's agreed to go, then just go in clockwise order or whoever wants to volunteer after that. And then generally after all three have gone, there's some time to discuss openly until the time is up. And we hold what everybody says in confidence, right? When you're listening, just be in the experience of your body. It really helps you to be a good listener, to be intimate with your experience of your body sitting. Because if you're really present there, you're also going to be present with the person. You don't need to nod. You don't need to give any sort of verbal cues or even physical gestures that you're listening. It's okay. Some people like to close their eyes when they're listening. But you can do whatever you want. There's no right or wrong way. But don't feel like you kind of have to support the person. Just let them have their own space, do their own thing, and just be relaxed and allow them to be who they are. That's really how you support them. Just let them be who they are, share in the way they want to share. Okay? Any questions about that? This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.